I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. I'm April, VP of the cutting-edge sex toy company, Hot Octopus, and I dedicate my life to the business of sex. We are on a mission to teach you how to have hot sex, deep intimacy, and how to make your own rules for who you are as a sexual being. Welcome Welcome to to the the Shameless Sex Revolution. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. Now, once a week, every see you next Tuesday. We actually got a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Someone saying, thank you. We love you. And they were they are sad that we're not doing the two episodes a week, but they still love us. But they get it. They get it. We have other jobs, too. So this is uh, one of our many jobs. It was, many it was a lot of recording, though, because we record intros separately. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes we do three recordings in a day and then we have another day worth intro. So it was, it was a lot of work and it was worth it. We still do other jobs and we have to sleep and eat and drink wine, except we're not drinking wine today. No wine today. No. No wine. I'm going totally wine free for the next 10 days. Ooh. And then your birthday's coming up. Then I'll drink some wine. (laughs) On your birthday, I'll drink some wine with you. I will celebrate. Okay, so this episode is with Kasha Urbaniak. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. She is a motherfucking badass. She's really cool. Um, she, yeah, she's amazing. She is inspiring, and it's a lot. It was, this is about the Good Girl Reform School, but a lot about uh, female dominance, empowerment, uh, in both in and out of the bedroom. We've had a number of folks ask us because we've had. Uh, speakers on here that are professional dominatrixes, dominatrix side, dominatrixies, dominatrixies, doms. Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. Doms, um, who get paid to be dominant, and we've had folks ask us for someone to speak on uh, living more of a female dominance as a lifestyle, so not something that you're getting paid for. So she comments a little more about that. And while this episode is not necessarily just about that in the bedroom, there's a lot of tools and tips and tricks on how we can apply this into our everyday lives. And if you aren't owning a vulva, you're not a vulva owner, um, this will be an interesting episode for you because I think it will apply to you too, actually. So there's a lot of really great tips, so stay tuned. Uh, we have a sex question coming up. We have some feedback we are going to share about our last episode that we released. And everyone, guess what? We have some swag. We have t-shirts and tank tops. And Is some it swag or swag? Swag, swag. 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 Swagger. It's one of those days. It's one of them. It's Swagger. One of those. Hopefully swag. y'all understand what we mean. We'll Mostly with, apparel. Let's call it apparel. Is it like savasana or shavasana? Yeah. Is <laughs> to, it Taoist or Taoist? Is it tomato or tomato? Oh, yeah. Well. Is it vulva is it or April vulva? April or April? <laughs> it depends if you're in Israel or Minnesota. Exactly. Uh, so t-shirts. Uh, if you want some shameless sex swag, swag uh, go to our, <laughs> our website at shamelesssex.com. And guess what? All of the proceeds are going to a cause. We are not making money off of this. They are going to the NAACP. This is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Um, so this is part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And anything that we sell, all proceeds go 
to this cause, and we might change causes every month, um, but this is just, you can own a shameless sex shirt or tank top or a long sleeve. They come in a lot of different... Oh, a mask. There's masks. There's a lot of... You just check out the link on our website and check out all of the different ways you can have the shameless sex. They actually... Sexiness. They have a mask that has a little photo of us, a little cartoon picture that your brother actually designed for us uh, of us actually wearing masks. So it's like a mask within a mask. It's pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Well, my brother took a previous um, one of his colleagues' designs. And then he added he added that. And he's working on some other fun stuff for us now, too, that hopefully will... It's us as more superheroes. Yes. Go check it out if you want to be part of the shameless sex revolution and all proceeds go to a good cause. I'm going to share some feedback. The last episode that we did with Buck Angel, which we love that episode, and Buck is a powerful, if you didn't listen, I would highly suggest going listening to the last episode with Buck Angel, a powerful activist, sex toy designer, speaker, educator, uh, film director, and adult performer. Um, and Buck Angel is also a trans man who does identify more as a man. He says this in the episode, actually, I identify more as um, a man is someone that transitioned, what do you say, like 30 years ago or something? Yeah, tw- something 25 plus years ago. Did top surgery. One of the first people to yeah. actually. He was, he was a guinea, the guinea pig. Yeah. And did top surgery and took a lot of the hormones. So he was very big, strong, masculine and uh, d- and did not do bottom surgery. So he has a vulva and he was born with a vulva and rocks his vulva. And talks a lot about how he learned to actually embrace his vulva and his body dysmorphia through um, self-pleasuring in the, that episode. So at any rate, what I'd like to share, we receive, we listen to all feedback from our listeners. Uh, we really value it. It's really important to us. And instead of deleting an episode because it pissed someone off, we actually like to keep episodes up and then talk about the feedback that we get from folks so that we can own it. And I personally think one of the issues that's happening in this world is that people have an emotion or a feeling and they get, they say something about it and then people get afraid and they delete everything and there's no more conversation about it. And, um, so instead we're, you know, we're, we believe in a lot of what he had to share and we are keeping that episode up and we'll also share this feedback. And he actually says this in the episode. He's very controversial in the LGBT slash trans world or the non-binary world, um, where a lot of folks don't, uh, necessarily agree with some of the things that he has to say, um, and someone gave us some feedback saying that they actually don't think that he is a great person for people to look up to, or actually they said that he's not anyone, some, a person that anyone should look up to. Um, while he's trans, he's in supposedly an advocate for trans men. He exudes toxicity that I cannot ignore. This is from this listener. Um, and they thought, say that they think that what he, his message is harmful to the trans community, which includes non-binary people, um, which this person identifies with. And, um, so what I want to comment on ab- about this is I want to share, thank you for your feedback. If this listener is still listening to us, I don't know if you are. Um, and Buck did share this, that this would happen, you know, mm-hmm. that people actually believe this, um, and, uh, or think this, and I'm not saying not discrediting your opinion because I know there are a number of people that actually feel that way. I'm unclear if, um, the feedback is stating that he's actually outright said that uh, non-binary people don't do not exist in the trans community. 
Um, and I'm wondering if it's because he's, he's actually, he says he, you know, he passes, he's this very strong, big muscles, tattoos, walks into a building. No one thinks he's a trans man. And so he is very privileged and he, and he knows that. Um, and he chooses to identify as a man and as more so than as a trans man. Um, although I heard him identify as that too. And I'm, so I'm wondering if that is what feels like he is erasing, uh, the experience of non-binary folks. Um, for some people I'm, I'm still unclear on what this, well, he also has said that it's not what is between your legs that defines uh, you. defines you. And yeah. so I think that it's open for interpretation. And I think obviously there's folks that are triggered for various reasons by, I guess, some of his Twitter and, um, we, I guess are just bringing light to the feedback because I don't know. My stance is that Buck was a great guest yeah. and I learned a lot. And I didn't feel like there was exclusivity happening. And I also am not on Twitter. Yeah. And so I don't I went, know. I went and looked at it and he has a strong opinion. And so folks with strong opinions, I know they can, they can kind of poke at some, some people. And, um, and so I, 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 my guess is that there's truth to both sides of the story. And what I'd like to invite listeners, uh, to do your own research and because what we say, what we talk about here, we don't preach as absolute truth. Like we are students and we are still learning and as are our guests. And so you can do your own research if you felt a trigger or you have more, you would like more insight into that. You can go and check that out, check out his Twitter, or maybe even look into uh, some uh, opposing positions, uh, ideas or beliefs about what he has to say. What I will say though, I've seen so many people say he actually, he's the say you saved my life to him Mm -hmm. that because of his advocacy and his way of embracing his body dysmorphia has actually inspired other people to break through those barriers with their own body dysmorphia and their own, um, struggles with being trans or non-binary. And, um, so while this person is saying he's not someone that anyone should look up to. I don't know how much I fully agree with that because he's helped a lot of people. And so maybe there's a middle road here or a higher road that, um, maybe he's missing the mark or someone else is missing. I don't, I'm not sure, but to, to discredit a lot of how the ways that he has helped a lot of people that would, I think that would be a disservice. Um, and to discredit the people that do feel harmed, that would be a disservice too. So just want to highlight all of those pieces there. Again, listeners, go check it out yourself and do I mean, your research. Also, this is a pretty strong opinion about that they believe he is not a person anyone should look up to. And there's so many people out there because of the media and social media that, I, I mean, I'm like, I would never look up to a Kardashian, but yeah. I know a lot of people do. And so I think everyone's entitled to their opinion and yeah. go ahead and form your own yeah. and appreciate this listener's feedback. And also, yeah, yeah. if he is really like saving people's lives and giving them a different perspective. I do think that it's okay to look up to him. Yeah. And I, what I, what I believe is that everyone gets to choose how they identify, you know, what, what they, their, the pronouns that they use or their orientation, et cetera. However, they want to identify is up to them and it's not for anyone else to determine. So if someone says, how you identify is not real or doesn't exist, of course that would be harmful. Um, I'd never saw that he actually said that. 
Um, and we we actually got feedback from someone else about something where they they were not loving the when we use the word heteroflexible because and I actually did some research on that that erases bisexuality mm-hmm. a little bit or it almost gives this like privileged way of dodging the having that label like as if bisexuality is bad and um, and that was insightful to for me to see like oh interesting. Yeah, I, I can actually understand that. Why don't people just choose bisexual? Because they think that bisexual has to mean all or nothing or half and half perfectly, you know? Like, I'm into penises and vulvas, therefore I'm bisexual. But if I'm more into penises, but I kind of like some vulvas too, I wouldn't say bisexual. I would say heteroflexible and it gives me more privilege. So anyways, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here, but just putting all these ideas out there for people because... And we listen to all of them. And I, I really want to advocate for whatever label you choose, you get to have that. I don't think anyone should tell you that you can't have that. And it's not fair and it doesn't feel good and not helpful and create shame. Uh, you ready for a sex question, Chip? I believe so. Okay. So in this sex question, in the past, I've heard you guys mention initiating sex from a more submissive role. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Initiating has always been a bit of a turnoff for me because I'm such a sub. And so when I initiate, it feels like I'm putting myself in a more dominant role right from the get-go. I have a higher libido than my partner. So if I don't initiate, I can't get laid as much as I'd like. It's a real struggle and I'd love to hear your sub-initiation tips. Mm. Yeah, we, we've talked about this a couple times on here. I think that's like the the the, the ultimate conundrum for the, the sub is... You have a, you desire sex, but you get your turn on for the most part by having someone else be dominant. Yeah. Um, although in this person's case, they actually say they have a high sex drive. They say, uh, or I, I, I they want to get laid more often. Uh, so it's it's a little little tricky here. I can really relate to this because I feel that I'm a, a submissive person that doesn't do a lot of initiating and I have a high sex drive. Although part of the sex drive is having someone turned on by me in a role of not even having to do too much. Right. And so that's the whole, that is a kind of a, it's as you said, a conundrum. Yes. And yeah, I think it, it, it probably comes into doing things that help you feel sexy to initiate the turn on as well. And you can do that in a submissive role. Like bust out your toy or bust out some sort of sexy noise that you like to make as you're, I don't know, feeling like you're about to come and maybe you're not going to come. Maybe you're just like, Oh yeah. Or, Oh yeah. Oh, well, I think that when people think of initiating sex too, they think of it as it being like this, this dominant action where you can initiate sex in the most subtle of ways, right? So I can initiate sex if my, you know, my partner's sitting on the couch and they're on their laptop and I just, uh, you know, walk by naked and I look at them and I drop something and I bend over and my pussy's now in their face without having to say or do much that in itself initiates sex. So instead of taking, I guess let's, let's maybe reframe it and get rid of the word initiate and how about suggesting, suggesting sex and all the ways you can suggest sex that uh, are very subtle where it doesn't feel like it's this big 
dominant gesture where you're like grabbing and like, hey, do you want to fuck right now? It can really just be you showing off your body, your turn on with a simple invitation um, or like it's literally as simple as we're April and I are in my living room right now. So she's sitting on my couch. You know, I could go onto one of these chairs over here, April, and like have a dress on with no panties and just sit there and face you and then pull that up and just open my legs and just look at you. And that in itself is suggesting sex, but it still isn't a very dominant move. It's more like, Hey, do you want me? Because I'm ready right now and I'm offering it to you. And now maybe you can be the dominant one to actually take the initiative here. I just put the, I'm the opener. Like I just, I'm the opener and now you're the dominant one. You're the closer. Uh, and so, so jump on in and maybe this is a conversation you have with your, your partner, you know, that this is something that you, you enjoy, you enjoy having this dominant person being the initiator, but you also want to feel like you can initiate and they probably want that too. Um, and so here's when you, you can let them know if you see me do this, this is me kind of initiating sex, but I'm doing it in a little bit of a subby suggestive sexy way. Um, so you can figure out what all those options are on how you can do that, but really just taking, getting away from initiating, going more to like the idea of suggesting, how can you just drop plant little seeds, sex, sex, Hey, do you want to have sex without even having to say it? It's pretty simple. There could be a fun costume to wear or because I mean, I'm, and I don't know the gender of this person or if they would want to wear a dress and spread their legs. Right. So they said their pronouns are uh, she, her, and their partner is he, him. I was just taking it from if they aren't a vulva owning individual, spreading the legs with a dress on might not turn the other person (laughs) on depending. I mean, maybe it will. I'm just saying, I was thinking about from the opposite, uh, from the opposite standpoint, if it were me and my penis owning partner and I was the dominant one and he was more submissive. What are the things he could do? I'm like, well, he could throw in a tool belt and walk around naked in front of me. If he's starting to fix things. He's just starting to, yeah. Or because I think that for me, that's a turn on or like, I don't know, like you could really get creative with that. If depending on the role that you play in your relationship. Yeah. I mean, I, as I identify as more of a sub too, and if you want to bring words into it, one thing, one thing, one way that I've suggested sex in a subby way to, to lovers is to say like, I really feel like I just need to get like, I don't know, like, like sexually roughed up right now. Ooh, like damn. I just need to like let go of some steam and get, I just need like, I just craving you to just like throw me all around the room right now. And they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> so it's just, it's a suggestion, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and it maybe there's a subtle re- request there as well. It doesn't mean that they have to take it. You know, they don't have to do everything. I like you say, reframing but... though. That yeah. Reframe. A, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's definitely initiating can sound scary. Yeah. So, and, and, and not so subby and more dominant. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, good luck to you listener. We love our questions. We love our listeners. And before we read the bio, we want to give you a little uh, info about something that we love called Dipsy. You've heard us talk about Dipsy a lot on the podcast. I know that we are out of quarantine-ish, depending on where you live. Shelter in place isn't um, as as popular these days. Uh, but we were fans of Dipsy even before. What is Dipsy? I love Dipsy because it is a online app on your phone that can get you turned on anywhere, anytime that you want. Uh, we get a lot of questions from listeners and for also from my clients and my sex and relationship coaching practice about feeling disconnected in their bodies. This is especially true for vulva owners, um, not feeling connected to their turn on, especially in long-term relationships. And this is something that they can listen to anywhere, anytime, hot, sexy stories that get them in the mood in their body really well done. 
What do you uh, love about it? I Chill. love the fact that they have this whole guided section. I've talked about it before. There's sexy meditations. There's also these 12 questions, part one, part two. It's almost like an exploration game for you and your partner to get to know each other and what turns you on. There's there's three of them, I believe. So you can tap into a, a fun game and change things up if you want to take a break from erotica and have something more engaging. And shameless sex listeners get a 30-day free trial when you go to Dipsy Stories dot com slash shameless that's 30 days totally free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories dot com slash shameless again dipsy stories dot com slash shameless to go unlock all those guided amazing abilities to just bdsm basics i mean there's so many good ones so check it out check it out chip i want you to read this bio of this badass boss woman oh my god she's so awesome and i think the person that asked this sex question could also refer to this episode and more about what kasha's uh offerings are so let me go ahead and tap into that so kasha urbaniak is the founder ceo and headmistress of the academy a school that teaches women the foundations of power and influence over the course of nearly 20 years, she has worked as professional dominatrix and has practiced Taoist alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China. Since founding the academy in 2013, Kasha has taught hundreds of women practical tools to step into their leadership positions in their relationships, families, workplaces, and wider communities. Her upcoming book, Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power, offers precise, practical instruction in how to stand in your power, find your voice, and use it well. To learn more, visit weteachpower.com. All right, let's do this. All right, everyone, it is episode time. We are here with Kasha Urbaniak. I did it wrong. Urbaniak. No, wait, yeah, she, said it, she says it a little different. That's how the <laughs> other person said it. <laughs> I mean, okay. Urbaniak. Kasha Urbaniak. Urbaniak, yes. Kasha Urbaniak. Okay, I was this close. <laughs> um, and you already heard a little bit about her from the bio, so we will just dive right in. Uh, Kasha, we always start with the same question. If you can tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are today. So a little bit. Long story, <laughs> short form. <laughs> Um, I started working as a professional dominatrix simply for the money so that I could not just pay for college, but travel around the world studying metaphysics. I wanted to be a Taoist nun. And what I found really quickly was that those two paths of working in a dungeon and spending time in monasteries cross informed each other in really powerful ways. So, you know, in, in the, on the Taoist path, learning martial and medical practices, body reading, seeing um, energy and how people uh, use their attention, ended up changing what I thought I was doing as a dominatrix. Um, so that in those power dynamics, I could see energy and attention and the patterning of people in really, really particular ways. Uh, it was a very, very, very potent and unexpected synthesis of paths. And then, um, you know, I don't know, 15 years into this juggling, I met um, Ruben Flores, my partner in crime in the school, who had um, a decade of experience in war zones. And so my 
embodied energetic understanding of power dynamics on the fringes of sexuality and spirituality uh, met with his understanding of power dynamics in the, in the place of death, conflict, and war in countries where many of the people who were trying to negotiate or just fight were not speaking the same language. So in all of these cases, our first conversation was about all of the power dynamics that exist below the level of language. So if I'm in a dungeon and I'm using words and I'm doing a role play, essentially it's all made up. It's not real language. I'm not talking about a real person. And the power exchange and the energy exchange that happens is below the level of language. It, it sits in the body. And in uh, conflict zones, his experiences in understanding how much the animal inside of the body can dictate influence and authority, uh, calm, or um, a, a motivating thing. From that conversation, uh, it became really easy as a man and a woman to start seeing the patterning that women carry around energy and attention that both impedes or powerfully influences how well their communications land, how well their authority is respected. And immediately, very soon, we started experimenting with people in our community. We invited couples, we invited women. And, and out of that really potent period, a lot of exercises and a lot of experiments were born. Very quickly from there, um, the people who had shown up once or twice started asking for workshops. And it just sort of took off from there. So it was a, it's a very long, long path and a very unexpected one. <laughs> and that's the short answer. <laughs> you founded an academy in 2013. Is that combining the Taoist practices with the, can you talk more about that? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Yeah. Um, so the academy is a school for power for women. Mm. And, and, and we say for power, not empowerment really, really explicitly how to have a powerful influence on someone, how to communicate powerfully, even how to surrender powerfully and receive that which, which, you, which you wish to receive. Um, the, uh, there were a lot of observations that were very easy to make and test as a dominatrix in a dungeon regarding not just myself as a dominatrix, but the dominatrixes I trained, where a young woman trying to get into this profession, for example, would struggle because of her inherent conditioning. What, what was the difference between acting like a powerful dominatrix and having a powerful experience and having a powerful influence on a submissive? Um, the, the training that I received um, on my path to become a Taoist nun was incredibly uh, potent in that sense because it's attention training. The, the exquisite, precise attention that you pay um, that you land on someone when you're diagnosing an illness or when you're anticipating a martial attack um, requires a certain kind of attention. So it became really easy to start noticing patterns like what we women tend to do, what we tend to do, uh, and what we're conditioned to do that makes zero fucking sense. <laughs> and a lot of it is invisible. I, you know, we talk a lot about good girl conditioning, good girl conditioning, good girl conditioning. Good girl, being a good girl is not the same fucking thing as being a great, loving, moral, ruthless, fierce, whole, beautiful human being. And, you know, it's, I feel like it's, it's like a travesty to go, use your voice, stand in your power, without actually examining what the fuck that means. 
Because then what happens? The moment you fail to stand up for yourself or speak, self-attack. I can't believe I didn't say that. I can't believe I let that person walk all over me. I can't believe I walked in asking for an apology, ended up giving one and walking out the door. Why does that happen? Are, do we not love ourselves? Are we not confident enough? No. This is centuries of conditioning. And this whole landscape of the conditioning of being a good girl needs to be adequately articulated so we know what to look out for. We know what to look out for. And so that's what the academy is. It's like not just here. Do you do this? Is this an assumption you carry? Is this how you communicate? And try this exercise. Try this tool. See how this works to break that patterning. And the cool part is that, you know, a lifetime of conditioning can be broken rather quickly because this conditioning is unnatural. Powerful communication, honesty, vulnerability, like even those words kind of drive me a little bit nuts mm -hmm. because I want to go into what does that exactly mean? What does that, how does that actually look in practice? So, you know, with the, one of the greatest things about getting to be headmistress of the academy mm -hmm. <laughs> is how much fucking fun it is to watch a woman to go from this invisible labor, invisible conditioning to a place that's powerful because powerful uh, power is playful. When you get to a place where you're confident enough, even confident is tricky. If you understand power dynamics and can play there, it actually becomes really, really, really fun. It sounds so distinguished yet mysterious, the, the academy. <laughs> like, I want to know more about, about the academy. Uh, that's really, really awesome. And you've been doing that for quite a while now. So is it a physical place that you can go to or is it, any, is it online? I might go to the academy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> for, for making the academy currently uh, an online place. Okay. Um, uh, the, New York City was the physical location for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I miss live classes and the wild experimentation that was possible there. But I've also found that um, the virtual space can be really, really powerful in a different way. Well, yeah. thank goodness for it with everything that's going on. I'm so, yeah. so grateful that we have that. And so we can still experience connection and workshops and offerings. So is this the same, what you were talking about, is this the same as the good girl double bind? And because I, I remember reading something about that, there's something that you refer to as the good girl double bind. And then you talk about how someone can break out of it. Yeah, that's part of it. A part of good, good girl conditioning is the double bind and the, um, the part that, that I think relates also to sex um, if you've ever felt like you're both too much and too little, too much and not enough, over the top and like not adequate enough at the same time, that's the good girl double bind. And other people have pointed out how that feels, how that, how that, uh, what a paradox that is. But what's essential is to kind of know how to break it um, because being able to describe a problem isn't the same as solving one. So, um, you know, the first res cultural response to a girl's sexuality waking up and a boy's tends to be really different. Um, a boy, so long as he's into girls... <laughs> Uh, whose sexuality is awakening. There's sort of like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink feel, right? Go for and, it, son, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Either overt or sort of quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know, and up until that point, as we're children, uh, if you want a cookie and you don't get it, you may wail and throw a tantrum, but it doesn't exactly mean anything about you. So the erotic desire is the first one that means something really about you, like really, really, really clearly. So a, a, a girl's sexuality starts waking up, right? And immediately there's a double message. Immediately it's like a slam. And uh, this is necessary, right? I mean, how many have worried about being a slut or a prude? And sometimes both at the same time. So your tits are too little until they're too big. You're too smart in class until you're too quiet. You're too loud. You're too much, you know, too aggressive until you're too passive. And it sort of continues. There's this self-monitoring, self-policing. Am I too much too on this side or too much on that side? And on that tightrope, it's really hard to breathe. And what happens is the entire body starts to behave that way too. Have you ever watched a woman walk into a room late, dressed in an apology, crunching over? Mm -hmm. The compression affects the body, the voice, the energetic vibe that a woman is transmitting. If, if the neighbors are loud, there's also this, that you can see that compression. And like, excuse me. <laughs> Um, I really need some sleep. Eyes that kill. Eyes that kill. Uh, would you be so kind as to right? That kind of thing. You can feel the contraction in the body. It's as though the woman is avoiding being too much and not enough at the same time. Um, and that throws off our inner bodily embodied erotic compass for what feels good and how like we naturally communicate and express ourselves. So, um, so the breaking of that conditioning oftentimes involves a really fun game where, especially in the frame of a request and ask, it's, this is the most helpful, you go over the top dominant, over the top too much, over the top I'm the boss, over the top psycho crazy, and then <laughs> over the top in the other direction, desperate, needy, begging, please, I need it, whiny, victim, right? Uh, in that space, when you can feel yourself embody all your rage, be the boss, control everything, like really bad domination, really, really reckless. And when you can allow yourself to, to start with like needy, baggy, desperate, pleading, and then actually access a space of vulnerability and feel that tenderness, that compression is, is broken. So we do this exercise in class where we have a woman ask the too much way, ask the desperate, needy, beggy way. And when she asks the third time, just neutral, after doing that exercise, what happens in the transformation of this human being is uncanny. It's like everything is aligned and resonating. The voice, like, it's, it's uncanny. And uh, in the context of a class, it's really amazing because we have men come to volunteer as the male stand-ins, mm -hmm. especially when we do power with men, right? Because we have uh, classes that don't relate to men and women. But um, this, in this particular one, she's a badass. She, uh, you know, she's in class. She's free, fun-loving, smart, gets in a chair in front of not the person she's afraid to ask, a stand-in who's volunteered to be yelled at, volunteered to hold a woman's entire emotion, right? Nice guy sitting there. And all of a sudden she disappears. Who, where's that, where did that badass go? And so we do this exercise where her, her good girl conditioning gets to be broken, right? 
just in 10 minutes, she goes from being unable to ask to making an ask that feels, sounds so compelling that everyone in the room wants to make it happen for her. Like, if he doesn't do it, I will. <laughs> and I think this is like a, a, a you know, what, what we're doing is returning to this birthright of power that I believe that women inherently have with their feeling sense and their intellect and their embodied nature. Um, and it's, it's a real pleasure to witness. Is this part of the invisible labor piece where in the invisible labor, okay, that's something different because I re- th- this resonates so much with me that the too much, not enough thing. I feel like I live with that split personality piece of my life so frequently and you never want to be the loudest woman in the room or you were always told, at least I was always told growing up to mind my P's and Q's and not stick out too much because you'll piss people off and you should avoid confrontation. Right. So I've always been like, of course, never asking for a raise, never. Right. Just always thinking I should be thankful. I have this job. And (laughs) that is something that uh, unfortunately I grew up in the Midwest conservative. We were like, work hard and you'll get everything you want, but you have to work hard for it. And you know, don't ever ask for what you need. And now just learning that is so powerful in my life. So that was what I envisioned invisible labor, meaning like the battle between the good and the evil inside your body. But I would love for you to explain that more and, and kind of what is that and what are some tools for me and anybody out there um, to help them abolish this in their lives or establish great. or abolish great, great. So, so, there, so there's two things. There's two things. The first thing is what you mentioned. And the second is what invisible labor is in terms of the academy and how to deal with it. So... Um, Notice that when you talked about your upbringing, you were not allowed to be too much, but you also had to work hard, right? So you also couldn't be not enough. <laughs> and um, you're, you are now a person who is in this world doing a shameless sex podcast. So you've investigated these things, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, knowing that it doesn't make sense to hold back, knowing that minding your P's and Q's no longer works in a world where a woman's voice needs to be heard 100% or we're, we're really in trouble, right? Oftentimes isn't enough. Knowing something, knowing I should stand in my power and use my voice, knowing these things oftentimes isn't enough because we need to include the emotional body and the physical body. One of the reasons that the one exercise I happened to bring up was one that was embodied is because the the feature of embodiment is really, really important. And it's also why I admire the work that both of you do uh, in in creating a space to talk about shameless sex, because there's no way to talk about sex without having sexual encounters, which are inherently about the body, inherently about the body. It's like when you move with it, when you experience something viscerally, you can have an idea. But when you have an emotional and physical experience, that's when it sticks. That's when it lands. It's like our, our, the animal of our body doesn't speak English. It needs to be informed through experience. So sometimes we need to dare ourselves to do something. And then we're like, damn, I'm confident. Not the other way around. Not practice at home. I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm confident. And go. But go and look back and go, hey, I'm a badass, right? 
so that was that's important to mention because the embodiment piece is the piece that really makes or breaks. It like makes the difference. Okay, invisible labor. <laughs> okay, so this was even this was even shocking for me because we have a very um, phenomenological big word. Uh, we have a very 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 practical approach to what we do at the school. The school has always been a laboratory. So one of the things we did is um, all of us, even the apprentice teachers, threw out everything we knew, stopped reading, stopped looking at media, stopped consulting psychology books or self-help books, and looked at the women in the room. Invisible labor is emotional labor, intellectual labor, like mental work, and physical work that you do that is uncredited, unpaid, unreciprocated, oftentimes not just invisible to the person who's at the benefit of it, but oftentimes invisible to ourselves. So this, is, this was the shocker for me because I had expected, I had expected that if we started doing really precise invisible labor logs, counted how much time we try to figure out someone else's psychology to know how to approach them, counted how many times we reinterpreted a text message, counted how many times we were helping somebody not be an ass, mm-hmm. how many times we uh, were having feelings that were not about us, uh, and doing work to adjust, accommodate, smooth over, create the right atmosphere in order to, instead of having a really direct communication. Um, so the shocker for me was that when we became really precise about it, and as a scientific uh, like community for a moment, all did these invisible labor logs where we tracked a single day in 10-minute intervals, the students doing 10-minute and then calculating the percentage of time spent doing invisible labor in that particular class, women who are CEOs, women who families, women who are uh, many different types of women, starving artists, uh, people who don't work, 80%. 80%. And then the question is, of course, we don't have time for our passion projects or for, the you know, tired, overworked, starved for fucking affection and adoration and still pushing through with white knuckles like <clears throat> so the first thing that that uh, became really apparent is that just making an invisible labor log had a really profound and powerful effect in a few ways the first way was there were always some things on the list that were like why the fuck am i doing that <laughs> I, I, I'm like my good girl autoresponder is just jumping in and leaping in. I didn't even, wasn't even ask, asked, you know, I didn't even receive permission to go save that person's ass. I was not asked. I just went in, I dove in. I had like, why? So that, that, that automatically drops off just with awareness. The second thing is the things that, um, when a woman becomes aware of what she contributes, oftentimes others without even having to hear about it, start noticing. So what we found in class is that when a woman was aware of what she was doing for the benefit of others, they also became aware. And the third thing is, um, you know, and a really good example of invisible labor is, you know, uh, a student with, a, with an uncle that has an alcohol problem coming to dinner, feeling like she really wants him there, but knows that he's going to drink too much and go on a rant. So she's careful about how she seats him. Mm-hmm. She keeps water next to him at all times. Uh, when he starts going on a rant, she goes, who wants dessert? <laughs> and is doing all of this work 
all of this invisible mental, emotional adjustment, accommodating labor. Um, and the next day, apologizing to all the guests for the uncle's behavior, right? It actually, if you really track it, uh, some of these things, all this invisible, invisible labor is a stand-in for really direct communication. Like you have an alcohol problem and you need treatment. I love you and I want you at family dinners, but I can't have you drinking and insulting everyone. How do we make this work? Okay, time for a quick break. This podcast was made possible by Uberloop. It's a luxurious silicone lubricant that enhances sex and intimacy. We receive emails from listeners who have tried Uberloop and the feedback is unanimous. We never knew lube could be this good. It's also less likely to throw off the pH than most other lubes, and there are thousands of doctors recommending UberLube to their patients, whether they want to make their hot sex even hotter or for folks experiencing dryness. UberLube is without a doubt my favorite lube. It has no flavor, no scent, and feels absolutely amazing on my body. And it isn't just for sex. I use it to tame my hair frizzies, to prevent chafing, and I even put some in my mouth before an oral sex session. Totally ups my blowjob game. Oh, and the bottle, it's beautiful. It looks like a cosmetic product. So I just leave it out on my nightstand totally shamelessly. To learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, check out uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off plus free shipping. Again, that's uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off and free shipping. This podcast was also made possible by omgs.com. OMGS is a research-based online program that teaches you all about how to pleasure the pussy. OMGS studied thousands of vulva owners to find out how they orgasm and then made beautiful animated modules and super honest short videos to give you ways to reach even more pleasure. I've been recommending OMGS to my clients for years and it's been changing their lives. We all know pleasure is fluid and ever-changing, so why not add more tools to your pleasure tool belt? OMGS is for everyone, so whether you are a vulva owner or you just love vulvas, OMGS will give you the techniques to get your O face on. There are two seasons to choose from and hundreds of gorgeous videos to explore. So go see what science says about pleasure and visit omgs.com slash shameless. That's omgs.com slash shameless to get $5 off your OMGS access. Again, omgs.com slash shameless. Go check it out. Now back to the show. Got to serve him shots of water. <laughs> No. Vodka. Just kidding. <laughs> That's the invisible labor part. That's the invisible yeah. Play yeah. Game almost. It's like you're playing, you're playing into the game to not, you know, enrage the beast and to keep the peace. Yeah. And keep everyone happy. Yeah. Everyone happy. But then you lose. Like someone loses. Yeah. And it's all the other people there who are like miserable because ang- angry uncle. And then also you because you're dedicating all of this time to be the peacekeeper and, and caretaker and I mean, I know people who do this of, of all genders. And one thing that came to mind when you were saying that there's a, a lot of conversations that, about that that's going on um, with uh, by people of color talking about how they're constantly asked by a lot of white folks how white folks can be better. Like, but then, but they're, you know, white folks aren't offering to pay them, but they're like, hey, can you guide me on how I can do this, 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 and this, and this? And you know, they were a lot of them were noticing that they were doing it, and they're finally like fuck that like first of all it shouldn't be my job go google yeah. it like go get on the internet or and pay me as a consultant or pay me yeah. yeah or pay me because it, you know starting to speak out to that and i loved seeing that because well i know that this is something specifically talking about people of color 
this it's also talking about this you know this greater issue or not greater than that but a, this big issue for um a lot of women a lot of people who are just you know undervaluing themselves get, maybe getting taken advantage of and not speaking to their yeses and their noes so that they keep the peace and they don't lose the love and um when when really again it, it really like I, you just said that so clearly and it was so powerful like you have a drinking problem you i love you i want you to be there you but you can't come until you go and maybe work do some work on this like how can we work through this it sounds so easy but i understand why that's scary for a lot of uh, folks to assert themselves i'm just i'm loving that and i'm loving seeing people um you know this example with uh, with people of color advocating for themselves in this way of, um you know, finally, it's, it's really, really important, powerful work. Um, so I'm curious, I was going to ask you about uh, how, how women can learn how to confidently ask for anything that they want and assert with and, and play with their nose. Um, you've kind of commented on that a little bit. Can you share a little more about that? You mean playing with their nose or someone else? No, yeah, asserting their no with someone. Like, how can they learn how to speak more, more confidently about it? like this is what I want, this is my yes, this is my no. Um, it, like, do you have any tips on you know? Quick yeah, tips? yeah, yeah. But but uh, but I'd have to kind of break apart what you said. Yeah. yeah. Like asking yes and no. Um, kind of uh, we kind of carry those ideas a little bit differently. Um, if you know your yeses and you know what you want, you will find yourself having to be, being confronted with saying no far, far, far less, right? If somebody makes you an offer or is pushing you in a direction, but you know what you want and you're present to your desire and what it is that you want, then it's not stop, no. It's like, I'm going here. You coming with me? (laughs) Um, And so, uh, in, in terms of no, there's two things. One is um, never underestimate the precious, sacred time of discovering what it is that you truly want. That is a process that moves from a really, really deep place. And it takes a moment for it to come into language and into a request. We live in this culture where it's like, if you don't know what you want, you don't know who you are. Like goals, not desires. Like get the results. So there's this assumption that we know what we want at all times and being able to return to the the compass of the body to know your yeses and therefore your no's by default takes some time. And I mean like 10 minutes in the morning over a period of time is takes some time. Um, And and oftentimes that time isn't set aside. Uh, The second thing is we do a lot of work with what we call no inoculation um, not being afraid of hearing no. When you hear no, get curious about what's behind the no. If you approach other human beings with a relentless curiosity um, when it comes to getting what you want, when, you, when it comes to asking for something and getting what you want, if you see resistance in any form and you get curious about what that resistance is arising to protect, people generally don't say no to be asses. They say because... There's something in them that reacts because there's something in there that they value that they want to protect. And if you hear a no and you feel somebody resisting your request and you get into the idea, and we do a lot of exercises around this, um, if you get into the idea that hearing no is better than hearing yes, because you're going ha- to get to discover what the other person really cares about and connect with them there, 
Mm. Oftentimes the, the no disappears and either a third option that's even better than what you're asking for and what they're saying no to is found or the no just disappears. And they're like, yeah, okay. Now that I see that you value and care what I'm concerned about, which is the reason I said, no, I no longer need to say no. Mm. So when you feel that other people's no's are not threatening, but interesting, your ability to say no multiplies exponentially. So a lot of women can't have trouble, have trouble saying no because they're afraid of hearing no. So, so becoming unafraid of hearing no and knowing how to, how to get curious about what's behind the no is not only an access point to immense intensity, um, immense intimacy and potential, it also makes it so that you're not afraid of saying no, because you know that your no is about something that you really value. You can speak about it. It's, it becomes much easier. So asking no and yes are related to each other in, in, our, in our academy world in exactly that way. And, and all of it has to do with the body, has to do with how it feels, has to do with where resistance comes from, where desire comes from. And how you can't take that out of communication. You can't. You can't. People try, you know, I, we, have, we have women who come to the school. I just took this amazing negotiation course and I knew all the right things to say. But when I did it in real life, it fell flat. Why? Mm-hmm. It was your body. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to run scripts. We're born to be creatrixes that speak their bodily truth and have that bodily truth and desire land in other people's bodies in a way that they can feel, in a way that they can feel. If you ask someone for something with the feeling of anger for not having gotten it. The the message they get is if I do this, it's going to create more anger. You destabilize the other person. If you make a request as though it's not going to happen, will you finally, finally just once pay me a compliment, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's a lose-lose situation versus I'm really feeling in the mood to be worshipped and adored. What are your fav- three favorite things about me right now? <laughs> Quick, go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. That last one was like, oh, inviting. That is good. Yeah, the one before I, that reminded me of like, you never do this. So you always, you know, that. Right. The, the superlative yeah. end all be all yes. always. Yes. And if you, feel, if you feel the body, right, like in the second one, you already have a sense of how both of us are going to feel if you agree. And, and the first one, it's like, if I pay this, pay this person a compliment, I, I was in trouble. I might still be in trouble. I might get it wrong, right? Yeah. And it's also when you're having a conversation with someone and they're giving you some sort of maybe a compliment or some sort of idea about what they're experiencing. And then they go into the, but right. So then you immediately think they're going to negate whatever they just said and give you some sort of criticism. And that's why we always say insert and, and Mm -hmm. just one shift in your word, your connective words helps people open up. So your body isn't automatically going into the defense or, or the shame or whatever that looks like. Well, and when you were talking about the no versus obviously, uh, and, and I wasn't relating this to the bedroom as much, which I, maybe I, I should, but I was thinking professionally, I'm so good now as I've been in my career space for quite a while, way better with talking to potential new customers, uh, potential new big customers. And instead of the continuation, the maybe 
your products look great. Maybe I'll consider it. I'm like, well, look, I'm pretty much, I'm here. Yeses are great. Or a no is just fine with me. A maybe to me is worse than either of those things, right? I, I want to know if you're into this or not. And I've been able to apply that. In the bedroom, it's a little different or asking for what I want. I think in relationships has been more difficult because of that pleasing aspect, right? The, the I want to please. I, I don't want to be the, the bitchy, naggy partner. I want to be the cool girl. So that's shifting too. And now I have probably more fights than I ever had in my relationship. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate that. And the, the, the confidence behind being able to hear the no and, and assert your no, if you have one is, is really important. So no is not a bad word. Mm-mm. No, not at all. Yeah, no. that's a powerful word. So bringing it back to, uh, we've had, so the dominatrix piece and you, you work, have worked and maybe you still do work as a professional dominatrix. I used to, I still oh, you used to. Okay. Either way, I mean, the school is all consuming. (laughs) I'm sure. And you're such a boss. You have this incredible energy. So can we talk about our listeners love tips and tricks. So uh, we wanted to ask for vulva owners specifically who want to learn to be dominant in the bedroom as a lifestyle and not for pay. Do you have any tips for them? Uh, Yeah. Um, The, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was training dominatrixes to training women to be professional dominatrixes because this this may be in the professional sense but this applies to unpaid dominatrixes and it applies to all actually all human beings if not all women um the first thing that i saw was a woman in a room with a man performing power meaning her attention is on herself and she's saying you're such a bad boy with all her attention on herself you're in so much trouble right no connection no connection no power no influence The first thing I had to teach them over and over again, which turned out to be some kind of energetic taboo that no one's really located, was to energetically invade his space. So when she used the word you, I would make her actually look at him and start practicing by describing two things that happened to his body when she described him. So you have two eyes. You are my submissive. Okay. Did you notice his chest contract? Your chest just contracted. Are you nervous, shy, or caring grief? Next reaction. Stiffening. Oh, I hit a vulnerable point, didn't I? You're resisting now. There, there. There, there, little boy, right? Mm -hmm. Tears, Mm -hmm. right? So um, the simple tip, the story is just a way for me to explain how important it is if you want to assert a dominant position in the bedroom to put your attention out. And the the tip or the trick, the simple thing to do is to describe them with sentences that begin with you. You, you have, if if the person in the bedroom is a man, you have a cock, you have two balls, you just shuddered, you are laying on the bed, you are mine, you are safe. And that, that outward attention 
is i mean it's it's what what you learn if you're training animals or horses it's how you learn how to deal with somebody else's energy body and physical body they feel well held and the most powerful um you know business women for example in a conference or a meeting they put their attention out on the whole animal pack and you can watch this mode moment where everyone in a totally professional setting because of how she's using her attention shift from their reckless or dominant state where everyone's talking and thinking and having their own thoughts. They shift into a surrendered submissive space where they're just taking in everything she's saying, eating, eating out of the palm of her hand. So bedroom, boardroom, doesn't even matter. It's about attention. And, and conversely, if you want to have a submissive experience, well locate yourself moment by moment. Oh, I feel this. Oh, now I am this. I am receiving this, putting your attention on yourself. So you don't invade the other person's space when they're trying to basically do you, read you, feel you. And that that space can be really, 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 really powerful. If you're really, really well connected to what you want, you have your attention on yourself and you walk down the street, you will see birds and trees bend to your will (laughs) to serve you. Mm. I yeah I love that you said that and I think it comes back to that embodied piece you know the way that you're engaging with someone you're submissive is giving them an embodied experience and connection to to their body and their being as opposed to being kind of just all heady and up here with these statements that you're you're not engaging with your body to theirs because you're not feeling with them and for them and so I yeah I love that I think that could apply to so many things in sex outside of dominance and submission and um, I, so just switching topics a little bit, because we have only a little more time left. You have a book coming out. It's Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power. Um, can you tell us what people can expect in this book and when it's coming out and where they will be able to buy it? It's going to be available August 11th everywhere. <laughs> um, it is the heart of the academy curriculum that moves through finding out, figuring out what it is that you want. Uh, moving through all the different emotional states to alchemize them into something that is potent and usable. So rage is invited, sadness is invited, doubt and fear and shame are invited and alchemized uh, as a source of power. Uh, A breakdown of power dynamics, how to use your attention in order to receive that which you wish to receive and how to have influence over another uh, in a dominant state. Uh, And a breakdown of how to navigate when you feel like you've been attacked or when you are suspicious of somebody's intentions. If you feel like um, it goes through invisible labor, good girl conditioning, why it pays and why it makes sense to experiment with your baddest bad girl self. Um, And techniques that help you navigate through spaces of resistance where things like gaslighting or changing the subject or deflecting can happen so that you can move through someone else's resistance with grace and playfulness. So you can really like have someone on board with what you want, heart, body, and mind. Um, And and right now in this time where there's so much conflict and so much attack and so much unembodied, disembodied communication, uh, it's by contrast, these techniques end up feeling like magic tricks because we are so goddamn bad at communicating right now. So much virtual communication, so much scattered energy, so much scattered emotion, not well directed towards a desire, not well directed towards a vision. So Unbound um, is coming out August 11th and I'm super, super, super psyched about it because the the fun of just watching uh, women break out of good girl conditioning and be mischievous, wicked, free-spirited, playful, and very, very powerful 
is awesome. Mm, I love that. That's exciting. And I like the title too. And I'm definitely going to check that out. Hopefully uh, August 11th comes as quickly as it seems like this year is just flying by, by the way, but this. Oh yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I forgot yeah. to mention um, right now we have this thing where if you order the book before August 11th, uh, you get a free seat in a class called Good Girl Reform School that's specific to breaking out of good girl conditioning, oh. which should be a lot of fun. I like that. Uh, so can you tell people how they can work with you, find more information about the academy, social media plugs, anything like that? Uh, our website is we, weteachpower.com. Um, and that's the best source for all of the information. It's like the, the spot to go. Okay, weteachpower.com. I like that. Well, Kasha, this was so not only powerful, it was super educated for me to learn about some of these techniques that you're teaching and it's a, it's a lifestyle, right? It's a switch of the brain of the conditioning that we've all had, especially vulva owners out there. And it's time to break the tradition and the paradigm that we've all been living in. And it seems like you're just pioneering this movement. So thank you for your work. Mm-hmm. And for being with Amy and I and our two crazy animals. <laughs> for all of you out there who don't know, you probably do know, but Amy and I just were curling up with some glasses of Chenin Blanc that it's super lovely, made by our amazing Megan Bell, who is Margins Wine founder, maker, winemaker. Check out why we love her so much. You can go to marginswine.com and sign up. She only does limited releases, so check it out. We have some coupon codes for you. Go to our website and get those when you buy lots of bottles. Buy cases and cases and send them to us too. (laughs) (laughs) And for anybody who hasn't done so, please rate us on iTunes. If you give us five stars, we'll love you forever. And the first 10 people that do it right now, I'm gonna send something interesting. Just DM us a screenshot, slide it into our DMs. Yeah. (laughs) All right, y'all. We absolutely love you, you shameless sex revolutionary. We'll see you next Tuesday. Ciao for now. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.